the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Our Bible study tonight is Psalm 103. Maybe tonight we'll take just half of it. It is uh, 22 verses. We will just study from verse 1 to 11. Each psalm has a title. And the title of this psalm is A Psalm of David. And this title actually in all the versions of the Bible. So this psalm is written by David. And the circumstances in which he wrote this psalm is not known for us. However, many scholars attributed to David later days when he had a higher sense of God's forgiveness in his life. So probably he wrote it at old age. Others believe it is a prophecy about the times of the conclusion of the captivity in which the redeemed Jews give thanks to God for their restoration from their captivity in Babel to their restoration to Jerusalem. This psalm focuses on the worship of the Lord. This psalm, it has been composed after some visible manifestation of the mercy of God. For example, if it is a prophecy about the restoration from the captivity, then they experience the mercies of God. Or after some clear proof of his compassion and loving kindness, maybe after some danger which threatened life and now is over. This psalm can be adapted to all times and all ages. It fits to express the feelings of gratitude to God for deliverance from trouble and for manifestation of his mercy. So whenever God delivers us from trouble or there is manifestation of his mercy, it is fitting to pray this psalm. And actually, his mercies are new every morning. So it is fitting and proper to pray this psalm every day and every night. Also, this psalm befits to elevate the soul and fill the soul with cheerful feelings as we're going to read together. It is moreover highly suited to express the feelings of the soul in view of the redeeming love and mercy of God, the goodness of God and the forgiveness of sins through our Savior Jesus Christ. So when we reflect on the act of redemption, how the Lord redeemed us and forgave our sins and delivered us from death to life, it is befitting to pray the psalm. So it is therefore one to which the Christians often turn than to almost any other of the psalms as expressive of the deep and grateful feelings of the heart, how God redeemed us and saved us on the cross. The psalm contains not only the most expressive feelings of gratitude to God, for his mercies, 
But the most reassuring motives to continue to trust in God and to obedient to Him. When we know the attributes of God in this psalm, then it motivates us to trust God and be obedient to Him. David desired to praise God for all that he has done. His focus is on reminding himself why he and the congregation ought to worship the Lord from the depth of their souls. So he speaks of God's personal blessings, how God actually gave personal blessing to David. Then his forgiving love to everyone, and he ended the psalm with a general call for all the believers to praise the Lord. This psalm can be the voice of the church to her people, that the creation should praise the Creator. Also, for many scholars, this psalm is a messianic psalm about Christ, prophecy about the Lord Jesus Christ, to whom praise should be given. The Jews used to sing this psalm in all their worships, and the Orthodox Jews still use it in their feasts and special occasions until today. As I told you, it is 22 verses. From verse 1 to 5, the psalmist speaks of personal mercies. From 6 to 18, God's mercy for his people. From 19 to 22, all the creatures are invited to praise God. So let's start from verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. To bless is more than to praise. When we say bless the Lord, it is praise with affection and gratitude. That's why to bless is more than to praise. The word bless can be used from the greater to lesser or from the lesser to greater. For example, when we say God bless us, means God give grace to us. But when we say we bless God, it means we praise Him with affection and gratitude. Again, the word bless from the greater to the lesser means granting grace. So when we say God bless you, means may God grant grace to you. But from lesser to greater, when we say we bless the Lord, means we praise Him, but with affection and with gratitude. So David did not mean when he said bless the Lord, that a greater person bestows a blessing on a lesser person. Definitely we are lesser than God. God is infinitely greater than man. And a man could never give a blessing to God. But David meant this in the sense that he honors God. He praises God when his creatures praise him and thank him appropriately. So David is calling upon his soul to bless God. Bless the Lord, O my soul. 
as if David looked at his soul and understood that it was not praising God enough. So he looked at his soul and said, My soul, you are not praising God enough. Bless the Lord, O my soul. He called upon his soul to do more. He reflects on the gifts of God and praise God who bestowed them on him. He asks his soul not only to praise, but to acknowledge the gifts of God which he does not deserve. David understood that the true worship was something deeply inward of the soul. It is not just words from the mouth, outward warm forms or expression, but also about something real from the soul. As the Lord said, God is his spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. There is no special occasion of thanksgiving mentioned here, no particular time for it given here, from which we may gather that every event of our life gives sufficient reason to praise God. Every moment of our life is a fitting opportunity to praise the Lord. As we say in Saturday Sali, with every breath I breathe, I praise your holy name. The psalmist calls upon his own soul and on each individual soul to begin the song of praise. Not only the soul, but he said, and all that is within me. What he meant by all that's within me, he meant his intellect, emotion, feeling, sentiment, brain, heart, lung, tongue, all the various organs of the body, which were regarded by the Hebrews as the seat of thought, the seat of thought and the will and the emotion. So the psalmist command all the faculties and all the powers of his being to unite in praising God. St. Augustine considered the second part of this verse, all that is within me, to be a mere repetition or explanation of the first part when he said, Bless the Lord, O my soul. So as if he is saying, Let all my thoughts, let all my affections, the very deepest within me, bless his holy name. Also, it may be taken as the thanksgiving of the forgiven sinner who has made his acknowledgement of sin and has received absolution. That's why he said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Verse 2, he repeats again, Believe the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. So in verse 2, he repeats his opening word, Bless the Lord, O my soul. For the more effect of igniting and stirring the love and passion of his soul. So when he repeats as if he is igniting and stirring the love and the passion of his soul to bless the Lord. In general, 
repetition in the Holy Scripture is for the sake of emphasis, not vain repetition. He wanted to emphasize that the praise of God should never cease, and both the active and passive faculties of the soul should join in praise. Then in verse 2, he added an important idea, that this praise and honor to God should be given unto him for rational reasons, not on the basis of mere emotional excitement. What are the rational reasons? Do not forget all his benefits. Because true benefits are given by God unto his people, and we must not forget them. Instead, we should use the remembrance of those things as reason to praise him. Many times we forget what God has done to us. Actually, for several commentators, his benefits means how God repays us good for evil. We sin against him, but his mercies are toward us. So, how he has given us back over and over again all the gifts of grace which we lost by Adam's fall. And if you think about his gifts, there are double. Why double? Because first, he was held the punishment which is our due. The punishment we deserve for our daily sins. The wages of sin is death. He is withholding this punishment. And then in granting us the prize, the eternal life, which we could never win because of all our wickedness, but only through the cross of Christ we can win eternal life. And God's gift toward us flow not from the merit of men, because we are not worthy of them, but from the mercies of God. His actually benefits are many, even countless and infinite. As we read in Lamentation chapter 3, His graces, His benefits, are new every morning and continue all day. Then how great must be their sum? We should not forget any of his benefits. He that can recount the sins of mankind by which we daily offend God. God knows our sins and he can count our sin. Anyone who can count our sins can form an idea of the extent of God's love for us in daily bestowing so many favors on us. For he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Can you imagine every single sin deserves death? Think about how many times we sin against God. And in spite of this, God is withholding the punishment and continue to give us grace. As we read in Luke chapter 6, verse 5, he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Then in verse 3, David proceeds to count God's favor. 
So he said in verse 3, Who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. Who forgives all your iniquities. This actually is the first and the greatest of all the benefits. And therefore David placed this first, for which we ought above all else to bless God. How important to know that God is ready to forgive and to renew. St. Augustine remarks, he said God's benefit will not be before our eyes unless our sins are also before our eyes. You know in the story of the Simeon the Pharisee and the sinful woman, why the sinful woman wept? Why the sinful woman kissed the feet of the Lord? Why the sinful woman washed his feet with her tears? Why? Because her sins were before her eyes. And she knew that God forgave all her sins. That's why she loved much. But Simeon did not recognize his sins. He thought he is righteous. He did not feel that God forgave so many sins in his life. That's why he loved less. So St. Augustine here says, God's benefit will not be before our eyes unless our sins are also before our eyes. In David's mind, the most important thing was to have sins forgiven, even more important than physical healing. But the second one, he said, who heals all your diseases. Some believe he is talking here about spiritual diseases, which are the same like iniquities. Sin leads to spiritual illness, which God only can cure. Or maybe he heals all your diseases, mean physical diseases. Because this word is used in Second Chronicles chapter 21, verse 18 and 19. Who gives the man the knowledge of medicine? It is God. Who placed the medicine in the herbs? It's God. Who gave the knowledge and the sign to extract the medicine from the herbs? It is God. You know, let me share a personal experience here. Last year, when I had severe back pain and even I could not move, and then thank God, after treatment, I was healed and was able to move. The, the thought that came to my mind before actually surgery and before discovery of medicine, how people actually survive it with this severe back pain. It is killing. The the pain was so severe, so horrible. So who gave us the knowledge of surgery? Who gave us the knowledge of medicine? Who gave us that we can extract this medicine and this medicine can heal this disease? It is God. It is God. So when David says, who heals all your diseases, indeed it is God who is the healer of our diseases. The Lord is the physician of the bodies as well as of the souls of men. And sometimes he heals the disease of soul and body at once. 
at the case of the paralytic man in the gospel. Then in verse 4 he said, Who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Who redeems your life from destruction, Many know the powerful blessing of God's rescue from sure destruction. For example, many troubles are spared the children of God, whether we know it or we don't know it. Believe me, many times God actually delivers us from troubles that we are not aware of. Many things are planned for us without our knowledge. And God removed them. And we, are, we don't realize that God actually removed all these troubles. God did not redeem our life from temporal destruction. But more importantly, from eternal destruction. So David possibly is looking forward in the spirit of prophecy to our Lord Jesus Christ who became partaker of our flesh and blood, that he might have the right to redeem our souls from death when he died in our place on the cross. Through the redemption that is in Christ, he delivered us from eternal death and eternal destruction, and he transferred us into his own kingdom, crowning us with the crown of glory. That's why after he said, who redeems us from destruction, he said, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. We actually, it is impossible to receive this crown if Jesus did not redeem us from eternal death. So in order to deserve that crown of glory, mercy first, had to go before us, justifying us that what happened on the cross. And compassion had to direct and protect us on the way. God's greatness extends beyond sparing us from sin or disease or trouble. But through God's blessing, we are crowned with his great love and mercy. So he did not only spare our life, but he is crowning us. As the Apostle St. Paul said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearance. So such a crown is woven with God's mercy and compassion. Then in verse 5, he said, Who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The result of God's work with us, both in what he saves us from and also in what he saves us unto. He saved us from diseases, sin, destruction, and he crowned us. All of this, why? To bring satisfaction, true satisfaction 
to our life. God's work with us not only give us pleasure, but God wants to bring to us true satisfaction with good things. Who satisfies your mouth with good things, good things of his favor, his loving kindness, his forgiveness of our sins, his righteousness and salvation, good things of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Good things who actually give us the Holy Eucharist, the rich food of his own body and blood. So this satisfaction becomes a source of strength and energy to his people. That's why he said, your youth will be renewed like the eagles. David's strength in old age became like the strength of the eagle, sustained by the bounty of God in his old age. He became as it were young again. So the blessing of God made David in his old age as if he is young again. This renovation of the eagle is explained by Saint Jerome. It is the shedding and peeling of all the feathers of the eagle, after which the eagle seemed to obtain fresh strength. But St. Augustine said it is the renewal of their beaks. The beaks of the eagle grow so bent and curved by age that they cannot take up their food. That's why they rub it against a stone or against a rock and thus wearing it away and form for themselves a new one. This recovering of eagle's strength, St. Augustine said, it is like the sinner appeared to that rock as the eagle actually where his peak against the stone So we appeal to the truck, Jesus Christ, and also we renew our youth and we can obtain the spiritual food that he bestows on the starving soul. So according to St. Augustine, who are being renewed by the renewal of baptism, also through the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, and we shall be further renewed at the resurrection. As we read in Isaiah 40:31, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like the eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Verse 6, the Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. So in this first five verses, David described the greatness of God in his work to him personally. Starting from verse 6, David describes and shows God's greatness in bringing righteousness and justice to all, not only to his children. God executes righteousness and judgment, not only for his own people, but for all that are oppressed. So, praising God is ought to be 
for his goodness, not only for me, but for others too. God does not leave the poor and needy to perish at the hands of their enemies, but intervene on their behalf, for he is the executor of the poor and the executioner of the oppressor. God in his goodness delivers us from every trouble and from the hand of the unjust. One of his particular mercies is that he shows judgment to all that suffer wrong, for he delivers those that suffer it and punishes those that inflict it. And all of us will remember about more than 10 years ago when the revolution in Egypt happened and we felt oppression, we did not know what will happen. And all of a sudden, God actually was able to rescue his people from the oppression and from the oppressors. God did this for us men when we were oppressed by the wrongdoing of the enemy, Satan, who held us in bondage, for he executed mercies, righteousness for men in redeeming us with his own blood. So, while at the same time he executes injustice in overthrowing the dominion of the devil and the spiritual enemies triumphing over them openly on the cross. Verse 7 He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. So, now he is remembering how God delivered them from oppression. When his people were in Egypt, God heard their groaning and brought them forth from Egypt. He overthrew Pharaoh in the Red Sea. Man's injustice shall receive retribution at the hand of God. The same way, no blood of martyrs shall be shed in vain. He made known his ways to Moses, a proof of what he has said in the preceding verse and another ground of praise, another ground of praise that God delivers from the oppressed, from the oppressors. He made known his ways to Moses. This is a proof of what he said in the previous verse. And this is a foundation why you should praise God. Because when in his mercy he delivered the people from the captivity of Pharaoh, and he drowned Pharaoh and his army in his justice, because God is just, and thus he gave a clear proof of his mercy and his justice. He made known his ways to Moses. His ways had been done in an undoubted manner to Moses, had been revealed to Moses. He he gave him the law. These revelations had been recorded by him, by Moses, for the instruction and guidance of God's people. God gave Moses the law through which he made known his will, not only to Moses, but all the people of Israel. And what was the essence of the law? The essence of the law, men should be merciful to one another. They should be just like God himself because God is merciful and just. Those ways of God 
were designed for the Israelites to walk in. Also, his acts, what his acts in permitting the Israelites to witness the miracles, the acts of the Lord that he did in their deliverance out of Egypt for sustaining them in the wilderness. And God literally taught Moses the way by which the Israelites were to journey toward Canaan, the the road to Canaan. Also in the church, he makes known his ways to his people, teaching us the spiritual life and showing us the path to heaven. What is the road to heaven? Verse 8, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. I want you to notice progression. He started from verse 1 to 5, speaking God's benefits to, to David himself. Then he spoke about God's mercies to Israel. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. Then from verse 8, he spoke about God's benefits to everyone in the world. So there is a progression of thought in verse 8. At first, David referred to his own individual experience. Then he referred to the dealing of God toward the Israelites. And now he rises to the general contemplation of God's character as it relates to all mankind. Those aspects of God's character are true, but so also are his mercy and graciousness. God is merciful toward his people as those of a tender parent to their children, as the word signifies. God is gracious in providing his son a savior and a ransom for his people. God is gracious in giving all graces and all the blessings to us through his Son, Jesus Christ. God is gracious in justifying us by his righteousness, in forgiving our sins for Jesus' sake, and in taking us into his family. We become in the family of God, his children. So the Lord is merciful and gracious. Then he said, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. Slow to anger. Yes, his anger comes, but slowly even to the wicked men, to the vessels of wrath, after much mercy has been shown. Think about Pharaoh. Ten plagues, and God is merciful. His anger was very slow to execute judgment upon Pharaoh. And his mercy is abounding. His mercy seems to have reference to that great mercy through which God will raise us to a level with the angels. Not only that, but to his own likeness, which will happen when we shall see him as he is in the second coming. Verse 9, he will not always strive with us. He will not always strive with us, meaning God will let go of many things, nor will he keep his anger forever. So David now explains in details the characters he applied to God 
in the preceding verse. The tender affection God has for those that fear him. God will not always manifest his displeasure with sinners. That's why he said he will not always strive with us. So God will not always manifest his displeasure with sinners, but is ready to be reconciled to them upon their true repentance. Think about how many times we sin every day and how many times God expresses his displeasure with us. God is sometimes angry with his children when they fall into sin. He chastises us for our sins and purifies us with trial and affection. But the affection of the parent remains in that very heart that prompts him to discipline us, like parents discipline their children because they love them in the same way God disciplines us. But David repeats when he says, nor will he keep his anger forever. So his anger is to chastise us to repent, and he will not keep his anger forever. Verse 10, He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. Now David comes to the second description of God. He has not dealt with us according to our sins. David knew and experienced the slow anger and abounding mercy of God personally. He knew that his sins and the sins of all the people deserved much greater judgment or discipline than what we received. God deals with his people for their sins, reproving them by his spirit, but not according to our sins and not according to what we deserve. For what did the sinner and the unjust deserve? We deserve death because the witches of sin is death. But now God not only withheld such witches from us, but even he gave us life of grace, promised us eternal life, and gave us with a bountiful supply of all necessaries for this. All what we need to live godly life, God granted to us freely. So this is a grant of thanksgiving and praise. Verse 11, which will be the last verse in our Bible study tonight. For as heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. So David compares God's mercy to the distance between heaven and earth. How this distance has no boundaries. So it is the greatest distance known or can be conceived. There is nothing beyond it that we cannot imagine that it could be greater, as we can imagine nothing higher than the heaven. So the space between heaven and earth is seemingly almost infinite, and nothing can more illustrate the mercy of God which reaches to heaven and the mercies of God that's in heaven. But also, even this distance between heaven and earth is also a weak representation of the mercies of God. 
the mercies of God is more abundant than the distance between heaven and earth. St. Augustine says, Men sin beneath heaven. They do all evil deeds beneath the heaven. Yet they are covered by heaven. Light for our eyes comes from heaven. Air comes from heaven. Breath comes from heaven. Rain upon the earth comes from heaven for the sake of its fruit. So all mercies come from heaven, although we sin beneath the heaven. Take away the aid of heaven from the earth. If we remove the heaven, there is no light, there is no air, there is no rain, there is no breath, then we will all fail at once. And then the protection of heaven abides upon the earth. So the Lord's protection abides upon those who fear him. This concludes our Bible study tonight. Glory be to God forever and ever.